1: 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. It's the show that R2-D2 once described as beep, beep, boop de doo beep inside sports on 630 Chad. The Pittsburgh Steelers are 11-0. They win the Wednesday afternoon game over Baltimore by a score of 19-14. So the Ravens' loss knocks them down to six and five on the season. Ben Rothisberger today, 36 for 51. That's right, 51 pass attempts. Didn't rack up a whole bunch of yardage 266 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Robert Griffin, the started for Baltimore. He went seven for 12. For 33 yards, he did run for 68 yards. Trace McSorley took over late in the game for Baltimore, connected to her a long touchdown pass to pull the Ravens within five, but they couldn't execute the short kick, and Pittsburgh eventually ran out the clock. So 19-14 for the Steelers. They move to 11-0, and 0, wrapping up Week 12 in the nfl no uh, week uh, 13 was going to start tomorrow with the ravens and the cowboys but of course that's been pushed back because this ravens game got pushed back reports of a pretty significant trade in the nba tonight russell westbrook would go to Washington. Houston would get John Wall and a first-round draft pick, two pretty good players, and obviously uh, Westbrook, a top scorer over the last few years in the NBA. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. You can get in touch by calling or texting 780-496-0063. If you have Twitter, you can follow me there at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S, and you can email inside sports at 630Ched.com. The uh, the the suggestion period has wrapped up for the double E football team to take fan suggestions for the new name for the team. We had a fun segment last night talking about the potential of the team being called elk. If you want to get more on that, head to globalnews.ca630ched.com for a further description of the elk as an animal. Apparently, they're quite athletic. Good in uh, good in herds, so good teamwork and can be uh, very aggressive if needed. I, I can tell you that elk slash elks is definitely one of the names being seriously considered by the Double E football team. It'll be into the new year until we actually get the name of the team. All right, the uh, the National Hockey League, the ongoing story of the waiting. The waiting for the season to start. January 1st remains the on-the-record target date for the NHL. I, I think we're all pretty much resigned to that not going to happen at this point. You still have to get players back into their cities, have a training camp. Players coming from overseas would have to quarantine for a couple of weeks. So I think uh, I think January 1st is highly unrealistic. And, of course, there continues to be sort of the very uh, sporadic Discussions between the NHL and the Players Association about the the terms that they're going to play under. Gary Bettman spoke today. He was making an appearance at the Sports Business Journal's Dealer uh, Deal Makers in Sports conference, and we have some quotes for that. I'm going to credit Chris Johnston from Sportsnet here, who's been on the show several times over the years. Bedman says we're not actually having negotiations and we're not seeking to renegotiate. We made a number of assumptions collectively over the summer. Most of them are not applicable anymore. There are a lot of things that we have to deal with if we're going to return to play. So, again, there was the Memorandum of Understanding on July 10th, and that said the players would have to lose 20% of their paychecks to escrow for the upcoming season with another 10% deferred. Uh, Now, the two recent proposals by the owners call for increased deferral and increased escrow to keep everything in balance. The way the NHL works, and Bett reminded everybody of this during his talk today, it's 50%. 50% of revenue to the owners, 50% to the players. So if the overall revenue goes down, there's less money for everybody. So Bettman is saying, look, the players have to realize maybe they can't get what they signed for the, uh, the league has submitted two proposals back a couple of weeks ago. The first one changing for the upcoming season, the uh, amount of the deferral would go to 20%. The escrow would go to 25%. The second proposal said that deferred compensation would go up to 26% for next season. and escrow would be left alone until years four to six of the CBA. And it would rise from 6% to then between eight and a half and nine. So the players are saying like, like what's going on? We've talked about this a lot. They, they didn't like the deal. I'll tell you this about Gary Bettman. And and I am by no means a Gary Bettman hater. I mean, he's been the commissioner of the, the NHL for almost three decades now. Um, I, I actually think he's done a pretty good job. I, I think he believed in there being a team here in Edmonton and the Oilers staying here in an era where in the mid to late 90s, some teams were leaving some small markets. All the, the, the three other WHA teams all left their markets. Winnipeg since uh, has, has gotten a team back. But from listening to Bettman speak over the years, and I have been lucky enough to interview him uh, in person uh, I be- I want to say twice, and I've seen him at an in-person in- 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 uh, news conference here in Edmonton a couple of times as well. But he is, he is a master of taking control of the conversation and selling what he wants you to hear. And if he doesn't like the question or doesn't want to respond to the question, he won't specifically say that. He'll just say the words that he thinks should be put out there. Look, I personally, just me personally, I would categorize this as a renegotiation. If you have a deal and then you go back and say we have to alter the deal, uh, that strikes me as the very definition of a renegotiation. Bettman's going to use other language. I think they are concerned about the PR element to all of this. I know I hear from, from some of you out there every night this topic comes up saying, uh, Wilkie, they got to shut up. They just got to play. Nobody cares about all this big money. Just get out on the ice, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, but that is what Bettman is saying. They, they, they're not trying to renegotiate. We made a number of assumptions collectively over the summer, most of which are not applicable anymore. There are a lot of things that we have to deal with if they're going to return to play. Now, uh, Bettman also saying today, and these are other things we've kind of touched on or have safely assumed, training camp whenever it happens would be condensed probably just one or two exhibition games that's fine by me let them get one game under their belt maybe two and let's start the games that count and get through what's going to be a sprint of a season I I think we're pretty uh, obviously looking at the second half of January or maybe even February 1st for the start of the season so kind of an update from the NHL world Brian Burke on Sportsnet Hockey Central today explaining why the NHL needs to play
2: a GM sat across from me and told me last week, two weeks ago, if we play, this was two weeks ago, so the math might have changed a little bit, if we play a 60-game schedule, we lose $60 million. If we don't play, we lose fifteen. So therefore, it's better for us if we don't play. I said, no, it's not, because the franchise value, you think long-term, uh, what's a franchise worth right now? I, I don't think very much right now for not playing. So there's operationally, how do you allocate the losses? Because you're going to lose money playing with no fans, socially distanced fans. It's going to be fine when we get back to a vaccine. But in my mind, to not play would be catastrophic. So the players will have to figure out what's the biggest haircut they can live with. But in my mind, if we don't play, you're talking about a catastrophic, devastating effect on the league in the U.S., which will be reflected in the new TV deal.
1: So, Burke, confirming one of the discussion points that's been out there, there are some teams who maybe would prefer not to play because they lose less money by there just not being a season. But you heard Burke's argument, and I do think it's a good one. Just going away for a year is risky and and could be more costly in the long term. Not in Canada. We're different. Look, if the NHL came back and said, all right, it's a a 20-game season and all the games are going to start at 2 in the morning, I would think the larger amount of Oilers fans and probably most Canadian hockey fans would be like, yeah, that's fine. I'll rearrange my sleep schedule. I'll PVR the games and watch them over breakfast when I get up. A lot of American markets aren't that passionate about hockey. And I think going away could be costly. Ryan, not in the dozer. See Ryan, when you put that you're not in the dozer, you pique my interest because I think to myself, where is he? And why is it significant that he uh he indicate he's not in the dozer at least that's how your handle shows up on the text line maybe you've changed your handle since then you can tell me uh ryan coming at it from a different uh, point than i did where I, I said look i i do consider this a renegotiation ryan says how is it a renegotiation the players agreed to a 50 50 split and there's no way for the league to know what revenues are going to be so of course available money is going to change. So he's uh he's more with what Gary Bettman said today at this leader sports conference. All right, it's six fifteen want to continue chatting about this as we go along here. Justin Bourne's going to hop on from Hockey Central as well. He's always fun to ch- chat with. We'll have an update on the world of curling. They are going to bubble up in Calgary, so we'll get the details there. This will affect the Brier, the Scotties, some other events as well. Catherine Henderson is the CEO of Curling Canada. She's going to check in in the second hour tonight. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. LeBron James agreeing to a contract extension with the NBA champion, Los Angeles Lakers. This is a report from the LA Times saying that the extension is for two years. It's worth $85 million. He's a four-time NBA champion. He's getting the max deal to extend his tenure in LA, where he moved two seasons ago after his second stint with his hometown Cavaliers. See, the, the, I, I'm, always, I'm always interested in the wording in stories like that. LeBron James has agreed to a contract extension with the NBA champion LA Lakers. Yeah, I mean, I guess eighty-five million over two years is agreeable. <laughs> I, I, I guess you could agree to that. Hey, uh, LeBron, what do you think? Yeah, I guess I'll agree. Yeah, that's fine. I suppose I'm. I suppose I'm worth uh, forty. What do know? What that would be? Forty-two and a half million per season not bad well he is an awesome player for sure 780-496-0063 if you want to get in touch tonight i'm always happy to hear from you the big l writing in he says i love brian burke very entertaining as with any walk of life all those directly all those directly involved or who make a living through some kind of affiliation with that activity like the media wants that in denver up in denver in denver i can't talk in denver up and running endeavor endeavor there you go up and running. Join the queue because I'm so nervous about name the animal later on on the show. I'm distracted. Uh, COVID has the upper hand right now and might very well tighten that grip throughout the winter months. That is from the Big L. Well, I'm not actually sure if he wants it to be an NHL season or not. From that clip, but uh, well, I like the Big L though. He's a good guy. All right. Well, I'm going to read this person's text. Any news on the Moscone Cup from day two? Yeah, I had to look that up. The Moscone Cup is an annual nine-ball pool tournament contested between teams representing Europe and the United States since 1994. Now, either that, either Jerry really likes this tournament, or he's just trolling me to see if I would actually look it up on the fly to figure out what it is. Bluff called, Jerry. Yeah, what's next? going to text me in about some, some high Hiala event, Jerry? <laughs> Actually, I would like that. Uh, Europe leading USA 3-2 after the opening uh, day. I don't know what's happening on day two. I honestly have no idea. Did you know about the Moscone Cup? I did not. I did a quick search for the uh, cable
0: box to see if it's on on any of the big channels or anything overnight. But, uh, so that
1: is a it. nine ball tournament. I remember when I first moved to Edmonton in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. I feel like there was a lot of snooker on television. And now that now there isn't. There was that. What was the famous guy who had the glasses when and they looked like they were upside down glasses, but he had them custom built so he could see better while he was playing snooker? Really? And he was, yeah, was it Cliff something? Somebody'll know. Uh, what was the guy's name? Was it Cliff Thorburn? Well oh, he was Canadian too. I don't know if he was the one that had the glasses or not. Cliff Thorburn was a uh, a Canadian world snooker champion in 1980, but he wasn't the guy with the glasses. We should try to we should see what he's doing and try to get him on the show. That would be a fantastic. His nicknames idea. were according to Wikipedia his nicknames were Champagne Cliff and the grinder. I believe Grinder is now uh, an app that you can use. Uh, that well, some people could use Th- this. Uh, Jerry says it's on. Uh, what is it? The, the Zone is that that streaming service? Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't yeah. have that. I, I, so here. So here's the thing, Jerry. Uh, uh, Jerry's being cheeky because he knows exactly where it is and he knows what's happening. And he's like, "I'm going to quiz this stupid Wilkins kid to see if he knows anything about nine ball." Well, I know how to play it. That's about it uh jason the clatter says has lebron ever signed for more than a two-year deal uh and then he says uh yeah four years with the lakers lol so i guess he answered his own question all right that's even better when you guys text in questions and then just answer it yourself that's also very helpful a little bit more from the uh nba Kevin Durant scheduled to make his Brooklyn debut against his former Golden State teammates. That's part of the NBA's opening night doubleheader. The other game on December 22nd, well, we'll have the Lakers take on the Clippers. That'll be fun. And the NBA saying that 48 players have tested positive for the coronavirus since testing resumed. Last week, they tested 546 players between the 24th and 30th of November. That's about 9% of the tests being positive. Uh, The Big L says his text was pure prose and that I butchered it. I guess I was – okay, if you want me to read your text like it's a poem, you have to put the pauses in and do the verses so I know it's a poem. And I really like limericks, by the way. Jerry also says pool needs more exposure. I'll tell you what Jerry, you could tell me right now if if who would you like to have on the show? Would you like to have Cliff Thorburn on the show? Is there some other prominent billiard snooker player in Canada or in Edmonton that you think would make a, a good story? Pitch it to me. E- email me, email me inside sports at dot com. I, I actually think it would be cool to have Cliff Thorburn on the show. I'm sure he has some uh, some cool stories from that time in his life. And he is can he, where is he from in Canada? I think he's from the West Coast. He's now 72 years of age. Well, we'll tell, maybe we'll try to get him on the show. I'm going to make a note to myself here. Note to self: Big L hates you. Try to get Cliff Thorburn on the show. That was actually two notes. We'll do it. We'll do it. 7804960063. Okay, so uh, the, the bottom line about the NHL is we continue to wait. Uh, Bettman's choosing his words carefully. Um, look, I, I consider it a renegotiation. Ryan not in the dozer doesn't, but th- they are trying to change the terms under which they play to get an upcoming season in. The later we go, the fewer games we're going to play. If, if they don't start until February 1st, I would think we're looking at a 48-game season. So then if they're in a Canadian division, that means the Oilers are playing each other Canadian team eight times. So likely sets of doubleheaders. You go to Vancouver for two, go to Calgary for two, come home, play two against Winnipeg, two against Ottawa, go out east, play six games. That's probably how the schedule would look. We're going to touch on some of this in the next half hour of the show with Justin Bourne. Well, Jerry sent me a name, more research to do. Thank you, Jerry. Back after the news. That's the guy who won the heart trophy. (laughs) Big L writes back, he says, Reed, I think that you're the man. I try to text as often as I can. Big L doesn't hate you. In fact, I'm a fan, but please don't award me another can of ham. Amanda, put down another can of ham for the Big L. Send it out tonight. Sorry, just talking to Amanda there in the background. 780-496-0063 is how you can call or text. We'll talk some curling in about a half hour. They're going to bubble up. They're going to bubble up in Calgary. So Catherine Henderson, who is the CEO of Curling Canada, will tell us how that is uh, going to work and maybe some changes to the format they're going to have to work in for the Briar and the Scotties as a result. Now, according to my notes, our next guest is a former echl hockey player with the alaska aces and the utah grizzlies a former assistant coach with the toronto marlies of the american hockey league and he's currently the co-host of hockey central on sportsnet and this next part isn't on my notes but i believe it's true the first human being to wield the hammer of thor it's justin Bourne on the show hey justin how's it going (laughs)
0: Good. Good. The res- the resume only sounded okay until the hammer of Thor part, and now, uh, now I'm a guess we're having, no doubt.
1: Uh, uh, how do they say it? Manalir? Majolnir? M- 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 Something like that? You-, you know the hammer I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you nailed it. Let's just say it's that. <laughs> that's,
1: that's awesome. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for checking in on the show. We had you on a few weeks ago. And uh, we loved it so much, and we had such a good time. We said we got to try to get Justin Bourne uh, into our rotation. So we appreciate you, you checking in again. I, I know yeah. we talked a little bit about like your. Uh, I know we talked a bit about your dad last time and about your playing career. How, how long were you uh, were you in coaching?
0: Uh, it's two seasons. It was funny. I um, I was working for the score. The score uh, brought me up here from up uh, to Toronto from Arizona, where I was living after I was done playing. And I used to write a lot of systems analyst posts, which were just me breaking down video and saying, here's what happened on this goal, a couple of video clips, few, you know, some commentary on what I think they could have done better. And some coaches kind of took an interest in that and said, you know, hey, you know, I I disagree here. I like that. And Kyle Dubas was one of them. And, uh, sure enough, uh, after, after they had an opening on their staff in the middle of the season, it was kind of a tough spot to find someone. They asked me if I'd be interested and uh, yeah, it was an unbelievable opportunity out of no- nowhere, spent two seasons with them. And, um, you know, I, I have a young family here and the traveling was hard, but boy, the two seasons I spent with them were an invaluable experience. How did you, uh, I mean,
1: I've interviewed obviously a lot of players who transition into becoming a coach at a variety of different levels, and I always ask this question, and so I'm going to ask you, did you ever envision when you were playing that you might do any form of coaching cuz some guys will say like oh yeah ever since i was 20 i wanted to coach and other players will tell me like oh my god like i always hated all my coaches and i ever, never wanted to be one myself
0: <laughs> <laughs> well it's, it's it's interesting it's like you know how much of your life choices is dictated by what you want to do um you know what your opportunities are but also just what you're good at like you know, my dad was a, a professional hockey player, and I liked playing hockey. I didn't love it, but I was pretty good. <laughs> you know, that was kind of part of the reason I stuck with it for as long as I did. And so when, when I was coaching, I wouldn't say I, or sorry, when I was playing in there, I wouldn't say I ever considered any coaching or being involved in that capacity, but there's no doubt that I understood the game at a very good level. I, you know, I had something I was able to on the bench work with my line mates on, if there's any questions, uh, clarify things, suggest things to coaches, it was something I was just kind of good at. And so. From from the media, I guess that bled into my work enough that it got me an opportunity. But no, it was certainly not something I set out to do as a goal. But fortunately, I good enough at it that I got an opportunity.
1: I, I want to throw this one at you, Justin, because you mentioned your your use of video, and I find it's really fascinating to hear players talk about video now i should preface by saying probably more football players than hockey players because they can pre- prepare for one opponent for five or six days but it's important in hockey too is what's in your mind what's the best way to present player uh, a player Video. I mean, do you try to condense it into a few clips or do you, do you try to show as many examples as possible? Just wondering in your experience what you think is the most effective.
0: Yeah, that's that's a really great question and something that coaching staffs battle with every day because there's not a universally a universally applicable answer. It's very player by player. Some guys have thick skin; they want the you know, just give it to them, you know, quick and dirty, and then be on your way. They want the information. Some guys you kind of gotta massage a little bit, and there's some ego in there. And I think it's a matter of knowing your people well. Um, You know, the one thing that Mike Babcock always thought in his uh, coach's office in in Toronto and I'm sure in other places, he had a sign that says, catch them doing it right. And that's just a daily reminder to himself that when you want a player or your players to do something, you don't need to go into the, the dressing room and show video of them messing up and say, here's what you need to do better. Don't you see how you're messing up? You find the times they did it the way you want them to do it and you present them doing it right. And that reinforces it in a positive way that, like, you can do this, you have done it, we want you to, here's you doing it. Just do it like this more often and everyone will be happy.
1: Yeah, I like how you put that. And I've heard that phrase used before, and you're going to like this. Todd McClellan would say that when he was coaching the Oilers and he was on McClellan's staff or on Babcock's staff in in Detroit. So yeah. it's interesting how that uh, idea spreads around. But but I, I find that th- that's a really interesting way to put it. And I know from a lot of the I, – I don't know how well you know the, the Canadian Football League, but we, a, a gentleman named Jed Roberts played a long time for the, for the double E here. And mm-hmm. uh, Jed has a bit of a, a hearing disability. And so that, you know, affected – how he could hear the defensive calls so if he was down in a stance on the line he couldn't hear the linebackers saying like okay we know this is their running play to the right so like jed said i had to get extra good at video and recognizing formations and and subtle movements in the offense because the other 11 guys are hearing the call and i'm not so i gotta make sure i know it well enough I'm on the same page Like, yeah it it was really cool
0: yeah, and that's that's exactly the idea with with video. Is like it's so easy to go through the last game and just point to guys where they messed up and be like, "Don't do that! Don't do that again!" You know, it's like it doesn't take a real wizard, but there has to be a plan and a theme. Um, that was something that Sheldon Keith really did well, I thought. Is um, you know, what are we trying to get the point, or what point are we trying to get across? how can we do it quickly and efficiently and how can we remain consistent with our message? So, you know, like that guy who, you know, becomes familiar with the patterns. It's not, it's not newness. It's just, you see it so much it becomes like reading a book, how the defense is evolving. and, And you know, it just becomes second nature when you see it enough.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. I love talking about that stuff. Justin Bourne checking in tonight. On, uh, on inside sports. okay, so let's I, I, in the first half hour of the show I was going over some of the Gary Bettman quotes from the the conference he spoke at today uh-huh. deal makers in sports. May, maybe I, like I guess it doesn't really matter what it what it is, but it's it struck me that he said uh, we're not seeking to renegotiate isn't it a renegotiation even yeah. i mean one texter wrote in and said no no it's not a renegotiation the terms have changed and they had to they have to roll with it i personally think it's a renegotiation what are, you, what are what's going on in your mind
0: yeah well it's absolutely a renegotiation it's it, first off that That was a fine line he was trying to walk of trying to reposition the owners from a PR standpoint while at the same time trying to enforce with the players that they have any sort of leverage at all over them. Uh, So the renegotiation thing is obviously on the PR front you're trying to um they say yes yeah, on a renegotiation there's just only so much money and we need to disperse it evenly but that would be the case if it was just deferrals and not escrow going up or um you know changing how much money is going to be withheld and eventually kept and, and redirected or paid back to the owners so um you know and to the to the texter who who text into you guys like things haven't changed they they had projections for the best case scenario average in the worst case scenario and then they they signed a cba based on that they they either got it wrong or I don't know. They operated in bad faith here, so it is a renegotiation. And there's no doubt that the players are going to be upset about that. And then at the same time, Betman's trying to be like, "Yeah, we can cancel the season if we want." So players that you know have the fear of God, you know, or the fear of the wallet being dried up, uh, struck into them. Which it doesn't sound like they really have that authority either. Not without a lengthy legal battle that could cost the owners bajillions. So uh, he's in a tough spot trying to trying to win the owners a battle here, where it doesn't seem like they have much to stand on
1: because we we poached that uh brian burke clip today were you were you hosting today when he said that the one gm told him we lose less money by not playing
0: i was on yeah yeah I was yeah there. yeah it's and it's a understandable point i think uh chris johnson i heard him say something like somewhere between like seven and nine owners have expressed that like you know they maybe they'd be better off or rather not play but it's just so short-sighted right like The NHL is already struggling, well, not struggling, but they battle for attention in in just the entertainment eyeball community. And to not play for this long while the NBA, the NBA just had, you know, Russell Westbrook just got traded tonight for John Wall. They're going to be back in a couple of weeks with the regular season action. They have a Christmas Day schedule. They're in the same situation as the NHL, but the NHL can't get it together. So, you know, it's great that you might save some money by not playing this year. But what's it going to do to the value of your franchise when all of a sudden you're not you're not in action for another you know nine months or something like that? So, but I'm not that worried that uh, there won't be a season. And hopefully, the rest of the owners are able to see the big picture
1: yeah justin Bourne joining us tonight on inside sports i i'm still pretty confident they're going to play but clearly at this point it's dragging on a little longer than i thought i mean i thought by american thanksgiving we'd have some maybe not completely firm details but a pretty a fairly specific timeline so like are we should we now be thinking of february 1st as the start date or is the 15th 20th still possible
0: i i still think the 15th 20th is possible like whenever this does get done, and I'm with you. I think that it will get done. I think the NHL is going to, like, really want to get this going. If they're going to do it, they want to, you know, have as much credibility in the season as possible. The thing that kills me, and this is probably why I'm a terrible negotiator, is just <laughs> no one does anything until they get to that pressure point, right? They want to drag it right up against the wall so the players go, oh, God, they might actually lock us out here. We better give, you know, and of course they can't legally lock them out, but they wanted that fear to be in front of the players, and I guess until you're really there, it's not the same. But we're going to get there, so let's just all act accordingly. If concessions are going to be made, let's make them now. Let's get some good PR for the league. Let's get everyone had to have a plan in place so they can prepare. I just hate the idea of waiting for a pressure point that is inevitably going to come.
1: Well, that's that's a good point. You feel like, why do they have to wait until it's it's the last minute? It's like the, it's yeah. like the kid who knows he has two weeks to write an essay while he's on – this christmas break and does it the night before right instead of doing it on the first day and getting over with uh i'll I'll kind of wrap up with this topic the uh the canadian division how often do you get asked to predict the canadian division i get asked a lot
0: (laughs) yeah well you you know what it's a dry content time right now so you can understand this has been great fodder for people like you and i uh
1: who, who do you have who do you have
0: well, yeah, it, not just because I'm, I'm based here, but I do think the Toronto's the best of the bunch. But I think the Oilers are the biggest wild card. I think there's the most there for, for them to say, you know, if the Oilers were really, really good, it would not blow my mind. Um, the Canucks are the same way. I don't think Calgary is is quite there. I don't know. I, I could see them taking a step backwards last year. They got really lucky. Um in one-goal games last year, they had a lot of come-from-behind wins. Uh, I, I worry about them. Winnipeg's not great. Ottawa's not that great. Uh, so I, I've got those three teams: Toronto, uh, Vancouver, and Edmonton at the top of the division. Montreal, middle of the pack.
1: Yeah. See, this is the fun part because when someone asked me a couple weeks ago, I put Calgary on top, regular season only, uh, just because yeah. of goaltending. <laughs> but yeah, and yeah. I put and I think it, I think I then had Edmonton and then had Toronto, and maybe that was slightly a homer pick putting Edmonton. Uh, second, but but it but it and it's such a short season. You know, a, a, a really good eight game stretch could make all the all the difference, even more so in an eighty game season. Yeah. So that's the that's the fun part well, of
0: talking. It kills about. me. Why need enough games? It kills me because you have a forty eight game season. A team gets some bounces for a weird stretch of time, or a team gets hurt for a weird stretch of time, and all of a sudden they look a lot better or worse, and we don't know who's any good. You need time in the NHL.
1: Yeah, but I do think I, I feel. And I, I've been saying this about the Oilers. Well, going back to this time last year when we were actually playing games, I think they're a good team. I just don't think they're a great team yet. I, I like I can't put yeah. them on a short list of uh, contenders. And I and that's the thing. I might say that about all the Canadian teams except Ottawa. Yeah. Montreal might be kind of iffy. I, I like I you touched on Vancouver as well. I all think they're good. But if you said to me, okay, Reed, you can only list five teams that you think are going to win the Stanley Cup, I wouldn't have a Canadian team on the list.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I feel the same way. So I can't decide if it's good or bad for all these teams that they're in this division because <laughs> it's like anyone can win every, every night. It's complete parody. It's going to be completely random. It's not like there's a clear leader you know, outside Ottawa, a clear dog in the mix. So it'll be a lot of fun every night. And I guess uh, you know, for, for those of us hockey fans in the dead of winter, it sounds pretty, pretty damn appealing right now if you ask me.
1: Well, Justin, I love having you on the show. I appreciate the the video coaching chat today. That was, that was pretty cool. That was a nice tangent where, of course, we'll keep having you on and maybe there are some actual games to refer to next time we speak. Thanks for making time for us. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, it would be a delight. Anytime, Ray. Thanks a lot.
1: That is Justin Boren checking in, of course, former player and coach at the minor league level, current co-host, Hockey Central on Sportsnet. He is a fun guy to talk to. 780-496-0063. If you would like to get in touch, we're back after the break. All right, thanks a lot for checking in tonight. This afternoon in the NFL, Pittsburgh winning again, 19-14 over Baltimore. They are 11-0 and on the season. The Ravens now 6-5. Uh, no Thursday night or tomorrow. It was supposed to be the Ravens. That game got pushed back, so the NFL re- will resume its season on Sunday. Good to have Justin Bohr on the show. A lot of talk about what's going to happen with the NHL. I had a really good conversation with Hal Gill last night, former NHL defenseman, now a broadcaster with the Nashville Predators. He was pretty heavily involved in the Players Association during his playing days. And I asked him, how we, we've, we're hearing that the, the dirtiest word a hockey player can hear is escrow. True or false? What's the story? You know
3: why it's awful is because players they, uh, initially we didn't understand it. I remember and this is this is uh not something I'm proud of, but we have a bunch of players sitting in a room going, "Okay, escrow, I remember one guy turned to me and said, "What does the s stand for?" and I was like uh you know i i, I went to four years of college and i'm I didn't really understand what escrow was, but I knew it was." I knew it was a one word. I didn't. I didn't think it was two words with an S to start it. Um, so we had to learn about it. You know, like uh, for for owners, this is just normal business. And for players, we're looking at it, going, "All right, you'll take some money." You know, okay, you take. You know, we were thinking five to ten percent. And then we'll get it back at the end of the season. And it slowly crept in at 14%, then 18%. And next thing you know, you're you're losing a lot of your salary. And, uh, you know, you're in – everyone knows how much money you make. You make $2 million, well, everyone knows it. Well, you don't make $2 million. You make uh, 20% less. And and it was kind of a slap in the face. And I think the players have gotten smart, and now they – They know what it's all about. They've been around it and they've experienced it. They've seen their paychecks go down. And so they're very in tune with what's going on. So I I don't think the owners can pull the wool over the player's eyes anymore. They know what's going on. Um, you know, when I was going through that, it was a learning curve and, and now they're sharp. So uh, they want to stand firm to it. And I totally get that because it really is an unfair situation, um, it's it's part of the CBA and part of what was drawn up, but it doesn't make it, uh, you know, you can't just get bullied around. And, and I feel like the players really do have to make a stand on it because uh, as it goes right now, it, you know, the escrow could be, you know, 60%. <laughs> and, and, you know, the players have to look at that and say, do we want to risk playing and traveling and leaving our families and exposing our families? uh and go play hockey when we're not going to make that much money and and that's something very real and it's very uh matter of fact and don't forget uh, i think you know the owners have a franchise that they're protecting and they have franchise values that they're protecting and you know if they miss a year maybe it's not a big deal but i'll tell you what i i miss the money that i would have made in 2004 i miss the money that I would have made in, in 2012 and 13, you know, those are, those are real dollars in a player's world. And so uh, they have to stand firm. They have to protect themselves, but they also have to make money when they can. So it's a difficult, you know, the whole thing for everyone involved, but uh, I, I hope they they make it work for the, for the game's sake.
1: That was Hal Gill on the show last night. I thought that was a really good answer. Informative, honest, I think he has a pretty good sense of what's going on. He went through it himself as, as a player. And I, I understand a lot of them make a lot of money to play hockey, but they're saying a contract is a contract they were planning to have that money. It was, there was a commitment from the Oilers. So they're or from the owners. So they're trying to get as much of it as possible. Okay. We got a break for the news. Curling Canada going into a bubble for several events. They're going to have the Men's Worlds, the Canadian Mixed Doubles Championships, the Briar and the Scotties, all in Calgary at the Mark and McPhail Centre at Winsports Canada Olympic Park. So how exactly is the bubble going to work? How will the scheduling work? How? What does this mean for perhaps those wildcard teams that have been in the Briar and Scotties the last few years? We will get those answers from Catherine Henderson. She's the CEO of Curling Canada. Coming up in the next half hour. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.